This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. So let me ask you this question, Shane, because it's an interesting observation. Uh, what do you suspect you'll have to adjust to going back if you're if you're going back? Um, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, going back, what do you what do you what do you expect that experience to be like? As you think, I mean, you're still a little ways away from it, but still. Yeah, uh, I don't know what it's going to be like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will take a huge adjustment. Um, it's. It's a different world mm-hmm. where evangelicalism is a is a minority, mm-hmm. and church is done differently mm-hmm. in a minority setting. Um, I think it's it's a lot tighter. Mm-hmm. Um, people tend to be active in their faith mm-hmm. by virtue of them even going to a church. Mm-hmm. It's it's it comes expected for them to be active like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really I don't really foresee how I can. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to expect really going back. I mm-hmm. mean, I really don't. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, what? What? Uh, here, here's a problem that some people face, and maybe I'm asking it ahead of time. Maybe we need to, you know, do this in five years after you've graduated yeah. and gone back. But uh, do you anticipate a, an adjustment being that now that you've seen a variety of things and what's possible, mm-hmm. uh, and thinking about going back and doing some of those things, yeah. <laughs> what the reaction might be? Do, do you anticipate? And is there ever any? Uh, would you ever have a sense of saying, well, they'll react to that because they'll think I'm just trying to do something American rather than doing yeah. something Christian? The American coming back, yeah. wanting to change everything. Yeah, and, yeah, you yeah. Know. Um, my home churches back back in Ireland are very much excited that I'm here in Dallas, mm-hmm. and they're eager for Katie and I to come back and to get involved mm-hmm. in, in church life. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really have any grand visions of, of changing everything when I go back. Um, I think I'm a pretty realistic person, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to take the excellent teaching and instruction that I've been getting here and and use that in a way that's beneficial. Maybe I might start an adult Sunday school class. I don't know. <laughs> You've said that a few times. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. yeah, maybe. Yeah, interesting. Cesar, what do you think? Yes, um, in Venezuela, most of the Protestant churches are um, Pentecostals and mm-hmm. some of them are most of them are prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. So if uh, when I go back, I would like to start a church that is more biblically based, mm-hmm. and uh, perhaps also incorporating some of the um, the things I've learned in the in the church in the U.S. Uh, the small groups, the um, uh, Sunday school mm-hmm. things that we usually don't do over there. So, and and I think that change from from for a person who comes from the Catholic background to go to a Presbyterian church would be much less. They would be f- they would feel more at home than mm-hmm. going to the uh, Pentecostal churches where they're more um, vocal. I would say. Mm-hmm. 
Most so um, well, let me uh, – uh, uh, this question comes to mind. You know, American culture is very individualistic. It's, um, you know, everyone get you can uh, – uh, particularly when it comes to churches, at least in the Dallas area, I tell people you can get whatever kind of church you want. You can sure. get a jack-in-the-box church. You can get a mm-hmm. McDonald's church. You can get a Subway church. You can get Quiznos. You, you know, you, you can uh, – you know, you can get it in any, uh, any kind of variety. And, and you also have this in this individualistic thing going on. Uh, is there a difference in how a corporate group is seen in the cultures that you you live in? Uh, in other words, is there a is there a different kind of mentality about being a part of a group versus being an individual? And how does that how does that work itself out? Mikhail, I'll start with you. I think especially in the church, there's there's loyalty not only to your uh, to your church, but to your your youth group, let's say, mm-hmm. or to your small group, that they're part of everybody's lives mm-hmm. um, far more than than would be at work, let's say, where you're part of a department. Mm-hmm. Um, with church, that that group that group um, identity is so important to them. Um, so much so that in some cases there's actually, uh, you know, some some animosity between like other churches, mm-hmm. you know, like one mega church versus another mega church mm-hmm. kind of a thing, and they're they're making some some efforts at yet unity, but um, yeah, it's in a collectivistic, communalistic culture. There, there's definitely that that loyalty to the group and your identity is in that and group. Fil- and Filipinos are structured that way. Are yeah. they more corporate, generally speaking? Yes, than in definitely. The, so, so whereas the in the United States, you might say, well, I choose to be a part of this youth group. And the the identity when it flips is, now if I if I'm going to make sense of who I am, I I need to be a part of this group. This is this is part of of what it is to mm-hmm. be a person. Um, it flips in that kind of way. Now, now Europe's kind of an interesting culture in that regard. It, mm. it, it's kind of a little bit of a, a mix. I I've lived in in Scotland and mm-hmm. in Germany, Scotland for three years and Germany for four, and it does strike me that Europeans, generally speaking, do have a more they have there's a bigger corporate dimension to the way they view things, um, but there also is a heavy individualism that has always fueled what's going on in Europe because it that's actually where the individualism came from that fueled what happened in the United States. So uh, so how does that play, does that play itself out at all in Ireland? In, the corporate versus individual thing, or not? Yeah, I think you, your evangelical in Ireland is primarily thinking of himself as part of a community. Mm-hmm. I really do think that um, because you are, in a sense, removing yourself from a large section of the population mm-hmm. when you do make a stand as a evangelical Christian, and so. There's no way I think you could survive without that community. It becomes necessary for your spiritual life. It's mm-hmm. not so much as a, I don't know, a, a thing of enjoyment or a thing of reinforcing it's yourself. It's not a consumer choice. It's not a consumer choice. Yeah, yeah. It's a matter of survival yeah. that you would seek out community. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're living in the west of Ireland, I know people that drive for hours to go to a local evangelical church because they realize that if they are not doing that, they are very much on their own. And mm. so it becomes essential to your spiritual life. Hmm. I don't think you can foresee yourself apart from that. Yeah, I think it's hard for people to realize that that um, that in, in Christian communities where there may be one church of choice yeah. in, in, a, in a, a large area, it's not it, – it's a completely different experience than the church on every corner yeah. where you can pick and choose what kind of you – you have to make it work. Right. Uh, and, and 
uh, and differences have to be sorted out and that kind of thing because because there is in one sense no other place to go. Yeah. Um, and so that does something to the dynamic of what happens in the community. It mm-hmm. seems to me. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it, it reinforces unity. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I think people are more inclined to work through issues mm-hmm. rather than go to the church down the street mm-hmm. because there isn't one. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I suspect there that, that for some people listening to us who've grown up in American Christianity, particularly if they've grown up in the South where you do have all those choices and all those options, to to think about a Christianity that, that functions that way would be to think of it in a completely different kind of context mm-hmm. to operate in, yeah. very, very different than what they're used to. Cesar, what do you Yeah, Latin, Amer- Latin Americans are very much family-oriented mm-hmm. and community-oriented, so um, most people would live most of their lives in the same city. There's not that high mobility as there is here in the, in the U.S. So uh, for someone to go from the Catholic Church to a Protestant Church, that's a really big change because mm-hmm. they, they won't, you won't be uh, praised for that. Mm-hmm. You'll be uh, probably ridiculed, and so Christians there tend to be very much um, genuine Christians. Mm-hmm. There are not many nominal Christians over there, mm-hmm. so um, they're they're sometimes rejected by their families, and uh, so it's a big deal to be a Christian. Now, there. that's another dimension of this that that's, that is, if I can say, context dependent. It seems to me that the because uh, I, I have a very close friend who's Guatemalan who. Who teaches school at uh, at Denver? In fact, we're going to have him on a podcast related to the discussion on immigration that we're going to be doing. And um, and his he comes also came out of a Catholic background. His parents were Catholic, and he became a Protestant. And the tension between the Catholic Church and the Protestants in Latin America is is a completely different kind of experience than what you get sometimes in in, in Europe. Uh, f- uh, and so maybe that's another part of the discussion we ought to have. What what is it like? What is it like to move from the Catholic Church to Protestant Church in Latin America? Well, first of all, you don't have many uh, buildings. You have to meet in houses, mm-hmm. so that's the first thing. You really don't have uh, a place to meet. So, first of all, finding a church is hard. It's not as easy as here in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, second, your your family will will not understand what you're doing. Why are you doing this? You were baptized Catholic. Mm-hmm. Why why are you doing this? And um, in your work, you will be uh, ridiculed because most evangelicals are uh, on the lower classes, so mm-hmm. mostly uneducated. So you'll be kind of um, labeled as an, an uneducated person. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, people like to have evangelicals work for them because they know they're mm-hmm. honest people. Mm-hmm. So they have this double uh, <laughs> double <laughs> approach to yes. the question. Huh. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Now, h- how about in in Ireland in relationship to the Catholics? I mean, uh, now, again, I'm going to reflect a little bit about our experience. But when we were in Scotland and we were in in, in Germany, both with so many uh, with, with such a pervasive secular culture, yeah. if I can say it that way, yeah. the very fact that Catholics believed in God, <laughs> talked about Jesus, mm-hmm. that kind of thing made a difference. And and the you, at least where I was, you didn't sense the degree of tension that my Latin American friend felt in in Protestants right. and Catholics going on in Latin America. Was that true in Ireland? It as is well? true now. I mean, it was different. Yeah, sure. Forty I, years yeah, ago, yeah, I know the history. Of yeah, now sure. it's now it's completely different. I mean, and I, I think it is secularism. It's it's completely people are not really concerned about the theological differences between denominations. Mm-hmm. That's largely irrelevant for most Irish people. Mm-hmm. They just know that you are an evangelical and that. 
might be perceived as strange, but they're not antagonistic towards you, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, they just see it as something that you're into or, you know, that's mm-hmm. just your choice. But they're not going to be perceiving you as a threat or as, you know, someone to persecute. Now, evangelicals are, uh, I, I take it from listening to you, that evangelicals are such a minority in in Ireland yeah. that they, their ability to to coalesce, say, around social issues with Catholics, that wouldn't, that, that's barely negligible as Very, a factor. Is yeah. that true? I mean, the 2011 census, um, people that, uh, returned the census form as evangelical were 0.09% oh, wow. of the population. Wow. I mean, so yeah. you can't really say that we are <laughs> to the forefront of social issues because it's it's tiny. I mean, yeah. the, there are very many people in the Republic of Ireland that probably don't know any evangelical Christians or, you know, mm-hmm. they probably don't have any, any evangelical Christian friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's different in other parts of the country, but it is it is a tiny minority, definitely. That's a, that's a staggering number because that reminds me of, of stories I've heard about, like, Christians in Turkey and places like that where there are only – I mean, I know in Turkey at one point here recently there were only two people who had a uh, the equivalent of an MDiv degree yeah. ministering in Turkey. I mean, wow. uh, so it's a you know you could count. I think I think at one point it was it was two hundred out of eighty million. Okay, that was just which makes yours thing looks like church <laughs> growth. Yeah. Yeah. But still, it's it's yeah. you know that's that's an incredible. Now that situation has changed. The church there is growing, but it's uh, but it's interesting when when the group is that small, what the dynamic is, and you can see why it would be driven. Toward Towards a kind of community. Oh, yeah. Now, I have no idea because like I said I've never been to the Philippines. Uh, what it's like in the Philippines? What's the Catholic uh, evangelical relationship like in the Philippines? I think for most people, they they see the two as apart from Islam, uh, the two major religions, mm-hmm. seeing them as different religions. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that for a, a Protestant who would or come out of a Catholic background, mm-hmm. uh, what they would struggle with, what my dad struggled with, uh, was uh, this feeling that, that he had somehow rejected the family mm-hmm. tradition, mm-hmm. Rejected, mm-hmm. rejected the family structure. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things that, that everybody does um, mm-hmm. that you won't, you won't be participating in mm-hmm. as a Protestant. And so the question then is, uh, did, you know, they, they struggle with, did I do the right thing? Um, I, I want to follow Jesus, but... Uh, you know, am I going to be rejected for it? And so there's there's that struggle. And and what my dad would say to his um, to his family is, have I gotten further away from God by doing this? Mm. You know, how have I gotten further away from God by mm-hmm. by becoming a Protestant? And so yeah, they're almost seen as as different religions, and um, there's very little, if any, um, working together there. Now. Um so, so you you all all come out of this kind of uh, mixed bag of backgrounds mm-hmm. um, with uh, very different experiences overseas from what you're experiencing here. Um, what what combination of values do you hope to bring to your ministry? In other words, given the fact that you've got this mixed pedigree mm-hmm. um, in terms of your training and experience, what would you what would you hope to to uh, take with you in, into ministry that is a reflection of the combination of experiences that you've had, Cesar? Well, certainly time management for me has been a big thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, one of the first things that uh, my mentor here told me is you have to do a time management, you have due dates, you have to. So that's a big thing because time over there is relative. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that would be something important for me. And um, also um, in terms of um, my ministry, I would say uh, the depth of, of teaching that you get here at, at Dallas Seminary is something that 
is lacking over there. The, the teachings over there tend to be very superficial um, because, as I said, pastors are not very mm-hmm. uh, academically prepar- prepared. So I think uh, this um, depth of teaching would be something I would bring that would be very helpful. So so now now when you think about again uh, this is kind of like the question I asked Shane earlier so when you bring an element of time management to Latin America what in the world is that going to look like That's <laughs> revolutionary I think you would have to adapt uh, uh-huh. obviously you wouldn't be able to do it as as um, well as you do it here but I just think be glad would, you're not a German bringing time management yes. <laughs> I think it would be bring some more efficiency to my ministry uh-huh. so. Uh-huh. Yes. So, so that's what you've gained from it is seeing how it makes you more, uh, more effective in some ways. Yes, I yes. see. I see. So. Um, Shane, I don't know about values, but I mean, I, like Cesar was saying, the training and the teaching that I'm being equipped with—that's something I, I really want to bring back mm-hmm. and share with the church, and that's something that they're excited that I would bring back. Mm-hmm. But I mean, these are things that we, that Christians all over the world, share in common. I mean, every Christian right. wants to grow in their theology. I right. mean. That's not something that I, that I need to instill in my Irish brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. They have a desire mm-hmm. and a passion, um, but there just isn't that that legacy and that heritage of evangelical seminaries in Ireland. And mm-hmm. so, being here is is not so much a different value that I'm getting. It's more being able to fulfill that desire that I've had for many years and something that my church has encouraged me to pursue. Mm-hmm. And so, bringing something like teaching back to the church would not be seen as a revolutionary thing, but a welcome gift, I think. Now, I haven't asked you this question, but yep. have you either of you been back to your home since you came here as students? Oh. Yeah, I go back every two months as mm-hmm. I practice surgery over there. Oh. And um, yeah, it's uh, sometimes very um, shocking when I, when, I go, when I go there <laughs> and I compare what I'm living here. Uh-huh. So yeah, in everywhere, just uh, well, we, we had a good standard of living there, but the country in general doesn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I go to church, I, I feel that I could be much more useful mm. once I've learned all, all that I've learned here. Yeah. Like, mm. I, I'm in class and I'm blown, blown away by what I'm learning by, by such gifted teachers here. Mm. Yeah. Shane, have you been I haven't back? been back yet, but I'm, I'm going to be heading back this summer. My brother is getting married, so oh, that'd be a great family event. Yeah, so I'm going to spend some time in England. He's getting married in England, and then I'm going to spend some time back in Ireland. Yeah. So hopefully I uh, get to meet my friends and spend some time at my church. Yeah. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, breathe, receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, breathe, receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. Yeah, because I do think one of the hard adjustments that you that that students who do come here have when they come here and they've been exposed to our culture mm-hmm. is going back, and there's almost almost a reculturalization. Now, the fact that you've been able to go back regularly and stay in touch with your culture while you've been here is is probably going to be terrifically helpful to you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, Mikel, I know you live here, and the, you don't uh, you. you 
uh, and you were a missionary in the wild for the Philippines, and you've been back here in the States for some time? Or, yeah. Yes. And now, do you have any family still in the Philippines? Or? Yeah, my parents are there and all my brothers. I see. So do you ever go back, or do you – I have, have not, not been back since uh, 2006 when we were missionaries. Oh, wow. Yeah. So so you've been away for some time. Yeah. Now, now you did do the reentry thing where um, – where you had you had grown up in in your cultural context, you'd come to the states and you'd gone back and and you went back to in ministry. So what was that like? Was that did that require some adjustments or? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, one thing that was very different was being an adult versus mm-hmm. being a kid. Yeah. Because yeah. when you're a kid, if there's a problem, it's your parents' problem. You yeah, just yeah, yeah. Put on your your Walkman yeah. and press play on you know listen to your cassettes. Yeah, all those cassettes yeah. that were there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now as an adult, you had to deal with all of uh, all of life as an adult there. Um, when we were doing our worldview training, one of the things that I was able to take back with me from uh, the apologetics training that I got at Biola was really looking at uh, worldview and mm-hmm. seeing how in this city we had just a backdrop of religious pluralism where there's people involved in everything. Mm-hmm. There's, there's Chinese mm-hmm. um, immigrants who are, who are practicing Chinese traditional religions. Mm-hmm. There are people who are both you say you're a business person and you're you're opening a new a new building. You may have a priest come bless it. You may have a feng shui master come in later on, and you know all, all along down the that line. What you said? A what? A feng shui master. A feng shui master. What is that? that? Chi- Chinese geomancy to uh, oh. make sure that everything is oriented just so, huh. uh, so that positive energy can can be manipulated and flow through the oh, place. Oh wow! Okay. And so there's a lot of this. Um, <laughs> oh. I'll take whatever from whoever. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's part of the uh, uh-huh. the, the animistic background. Yeah. Of well, as you know, if I'm, if I'm gonna get some prosperity, then it doesn't really matter who it comes from. Mm-hmm. I'll just cover all my bases. I see. So they would say, and that's one thing that Christians struggle with. Actually, evangelicals mm-hmm. will say, uh, "In my business, we're not going to do that." Mm-hmm. Um, but then their employees might say, "Well, what do we have to lose? Mm-hmm. Why not?" Mm. So taking back some of those um, kind of worldview. Mm-hmm. training kinds of things was very helpful to them. It was helpful to me also mm-hmm. to see where the, where is the person coming from when they ask such a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the presuppositions that they're bringing mm-hmm. to the table? So um, also theological training, there's sometimes some pushback mm-hmm. against that in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. As one Filipino author put it, um, talking about American missionaries, mm-hmm. let them take the Bible apart and put it back together again like Lego. Mm-hmm. We're going to dance and make art. <laughs> so there was this kind of distinction uh-huh. between um, doing an academic scholarly study of the text mm-hmm. and and just you know li- living real life, quote unquote. Hmm. So being able to bridge that gap and show how how we can love God with everything that we are, with our mind, with our intellect, our emotions, and everything that we are. So um, are there syncretistic problems in in Venezuela? I know there are in Guatemala. So um, that's what's that's what may, his mentioning the Philippines made me. Maybe you think about that. Yes. Um, now we've become very close to Cuba, and many of the uh, indigenous religions from Cuba have come to Venezuela, Santeria. Hmm. So there's a lot of spiritism, and that, and people, Catholic people, they don't see anything wrong with, with practicing that and mm-hmm. belonging to the Catholic Church. So hmm. there is a lot of syncretism there. Hmm. See, uh, that's that's another thing that that's interesting that that we haven't had time to discuss. I'm not sure if we still do, but the, the, there. There are issues that take place in the context that you all live in mm-hmm. that don't show up or tend not to show up here. Um, what uh, if, if I were to raise that category, what, what types of things do you find yourself facing as a Christian 
just thinking about it automatically in some cases that tend not to be on the radar screen of issues that you would find if you were operating in the in the churches that you that you're now uh, participating in uh, and uh, probably the least uh, radical difference, although there, I, I think there would be some, would be in what you might face in Ireland. But mm -hmm. do you think – does anything leap to mind about – Well, before I came to DTS, I was working in Cork City um, just in a secular job, and I was surprised that one thing I had to defend over and over again was the historical lineage of evangelicalism, uh, in a sense, because people had a perception that it's American fundamentalism, and it's alien to our culture. And mm -hmm. so we've been Christian since the 5th century. You know, why why this modern American thing? Uh -huh. And so being able to try to explain what are, the, what are the theological and historical differences between, you know, Roman Catholicism and, mm -hmm. and evangelical Christians. So I think you do have to bring in the historical element mm -hmm. into, into that. Um, and particularly in Ireland, where we have had a lot of, uh, let's say, bad... Yeah, bad examples of yeah conflict. sectarian yeah. conflict and yeah. so people have a perception of protestant protestantism as a a political entity mm -hmm. rather than the theological reasons behind it because pretty much all they have seen in in irish history is the the political arm of the protestant church yeah that's interesting you know i hadn't thought about it from that i mean i've lived in the uk as i mm -hmm. said i've been in scotland and i watched the northern ireland thing unfold yeah. from uh uh, from Scotland. In fact, you know, I, I, I had never been in a society that ha had been so impacted by sectarian conflict yeah. as when I was living in Scotland. Uh, I was there as a student in the late 70s and early 80s and as a doctoral student. And what was interesting is, is that it was so sectarian that even the sports teams, the soccer teams, mm -hmm. were stru were structured. There was a in, – in Scotland, there was a Catholic sco soccer team, mm -hmm. Celtic, and there was a Protestant soccer team, Rangers. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they had only uh, – how can I say – Desectarianized. I don't know if that's a word, but mm -hmm. they they only in, uh, uh, crossed uh, religious boundaries within within five years of of my coming over there, yeah. and and that just seems so foreign to me. To mm -hmm. to and and the Northern Ireland politics was big when I was in in Scotland, yeah. and so living in a sectarian context where you see that kind of tension uh, between. Between Christian groups, I mean, what, I mean, it was, you know, as anyone knows who knows the history, it's incredibly violent period mm -hmm. in in history. Um, uh, th those kinds, uh, that that kind of religious political mix, uh, generally speaking, we don't we don't find here. Mm -hmm. But that's changed because because yeah. the, it's secularism now that it that has you're radically doing changed. This. And like the Republic of Ireland, where I'm from. There isn't any sectarian conflict because one side dominated, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah, from right. my from the modern period right. on. So it's not really that there's two groups fighting, but like you said, I think yeah, nominalism is really the the sort of the worldview that's at work mm -hmm. in in Ireland as a whole, which is predominantly Roman Catholic. Eighty four percent of the people say they're Roman Catholic. the The Catholic Church did a survey in 2010 where they, they surveyed Irish Roman Catholics and 10% said they didn't believe in God. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's still a large section of the population that identify themselves as Roman Catholic but are effectively atheists. Yeah. And so that is a huge thing, much more than sectarianism. I think mm -hmm. that's the real battleground is, mm. is impacting people that are comfortably Christian in a very cultural setting. but don't really have a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. So and some don't even believe in God. Yeah. So that uh, and 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 really that in many ways is the same cultural 
conversation that's starting to emerge in parts of the United States mm. where it's becoming so secularized that your Christian tag is more more a cultural tag yeah. than it is a substantive tag. Um, says our, I imagine, though, in Latin America that there are issues that come up as a matter of course that most uh, that don't hit the radar screen here. What would those Especially be? Especially the spiritual there is very real. Uh-huh. When you go, when I go to Venezuela, I it's just like evil is present from the corruption in in the government there and and it's widespread mm-hmm. but also um catholics they will go to have their the palm read mm-hmm. they'll go to um, horoscopes so the you'll see it on tv everywhere so the spiritual is very real to people so it's almost the exact opposite yes, of what's going on right, in the Europe. exact opposite yeah, yeah. so uh, i think that the battle will be more on a spiritual level level than, than, yeah. And and what uh, the other thing that uh, I, I'm now I'm sharing out of my own experience in Guatemala because this is one of the things that we did. I used to teach a class in which we took students from Dallas, and my friend took students from Denver Seminary, and we would combine them with the Latin American students down, and, mm-hmm. and we would do hermeneutics in the Bible, but we would do it in a different context. And the thing that we would ask our students to do is, what strikes you here about reading the Bible and what you would have to deal with that you wouldn't have to deal with if you were in the States? How How is being here make you read the Bible differently, just simply being here? And uh, we, the, the seminary in Guatemala was located literally five blocks from the garbage dump in, in Guatemala City that literally every uh, – we would do this class every two years. So you could – as I would go down, I could could watch it move wow. across this valley. Um, at one point, it was approaching us. At one year, it was with us, and the next year, it had gone beyond us. And so, that's the way garbage is. So, um, um, so you're watching this happen. But the thing that our students consistently said about at least many parts of Latin America, and I think you alluded to this, is is the um, direct engagement with intense poverty mm-hmm. that you often see uh, in. In Latin America, and uh, and you said many many of the Christians who are there do come out of the uh, lower classes. So, so that if you're a pastor ministering in that context, you are encountering um, uh, core life choices that you normally don't see in many churches here in the states. Is that fair? It is very fair. It's, yeah. Yes. And and this. Uh, the the wealth and the poverty coexist. Mm-hmm. They're 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 side by next side. Next by next, in fact, that's mm, yes. one of the things we used to do in in Guatemala. We would take students into the poorest parts of Guatemala City, and we could go not. Ten minutes, and you could be in a part of Guatemala City, and you wouldn't know you were in Guatemala. Yes. I mean, you know, you would think you were in Europe or in the States. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you'd see you, it did very much exist side by side. So, so a lot of uh, pastoral preparation has to help people uh, cope with just the core basics of survival in life. Oftentimes, is that true? Exactly, and people sometimes don't have time to like here in the US you have time to reflect uh, about theological matters there you're focused on surviving every day and feeding your kid mm-hmm. every day so you don't have much time to the- for theory you, you need to practice so the the gospel there has to have a very practical side to is that part of what you think drives the prosperity theology that definitely, goes on definitely yeah. cuz they're offering these people uh things that are not real that they'll become rich if they start um, they call it uh, planting in the church, with, like tithing. Mm-hmm. So they, sometimes they give beyond what they are able to give or what they should give, and they're not getting any better by mm. doing that. So mm. that's why th- this prosperity theology is, is so um, successful there. Hmm. Interesting. And what about the Philippines? What do you see? There? What issues do you see there that that you tend not to see here? 
Uh, well, first I want to say it's very similar in the Philippines also mm -hmm. with the poverty mm -hmm. and, and the rise of prosperity gospel in the mm -hmm. Philippines. Um, very similar situation. Um, one thing that I've noticed in the Philippines that we don't see here is an, ex an extreme, which is not necessarily a bad thing, it's an extreme commitment to holiness mm -hmm. for the leaders. That mm -hmm. leaders are held to a super high standard. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas coming uh, back to the United States, I found uh, it would be rare to see church discipline enacted mm -hmm. in a church. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in the Philippines, I was in a church where uh, a leader sent an inappropriate text message to a, a woman, mm -hmm. and that leader was disciplined and stepped down. Hmm. He didn't even touch her. It was mm -hmm. a text. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and here in the United States, uh, you know, far worse things than tech, inappropriate text right. messages happen, and we don't we don't see um, church discipline enacted as much. So there there is a strong uh, emphasis on holiness hmm. there. Hmm. Uh, do you have any idea where that comes from at all? I think because teachers are held to a higher standard, and in a uh, in a uh, a culture where you have that power mm -hmm. distinction between the laity and they want to be able to look up to their leaders and say these leaders are different than me so it comes from the ter with the territory of how leaders so, perceive to yeah. a certain degree and so what's demanded of them mm -hmm. interesting mm -hmm. huh. well I want to thank you all for for coming in and, and sharing a little bit about sure. your country and your experience with us uh, you know we've we've talked a little bit about uh, about um, issues that from a kind of global perspective let me let me let me have this close to have you each tell us what's what's one thing you think you could say about cultural engagement uh, in light of your own background that that you would want to emphasize to people uh, who are listening uh, in terms of thinking about how they engage the culture and whether that has to do with how you do it as a Christian who might be in a minority context mm -hmm. which we're moving towards here or or something else what what one thing would you each like to like to say. I think it's almost easier to engage as a minority because you have to engage from humility and you have to engage from a, a vulnerability in a sense that mm -hmm. you're not the dominant uh, group that's setting the agenda. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think Irish Christians, Irish evangelical Christians, they I think they do a pretty good job of engaging the culture around them. They have moved past a stage that maybe earlier. They, they had the inclination to completely cut themselves off from those things that were formerly uh, their, part of their life before conversion, so even sports or anything mm -hmm. like that. But I think they've uh, largely moved beyond that, and they, are, they see themselves as being able to engage with their, their fellow townspeople or you know, their communities. Um, but you, just, you have to engage from a, a position of humility um, because you are a minority. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's effective, and it's it's healthy, and it's I think it's quite easy to be honest. So, well, uh, if I'm reading between the lines here, yeah. that one of the dangers of having being a large number is the risk is is that is that you'll minister out of a context of, of power and entitlement as opposed to out of a context of humility. Is that what you're yeah. what, what you're seeing? Mm -hmm. yeah. Definitely interesting, Mikael? I think I would say asking good questions, mm -hmm. asking good questions with with the tone of humility, mm -hmm. um, knowing that recognizing that people are come from all kinds of different backgrounds and they may have religious backgrounds that you don't know about. They may appear to be, such as in the Philippines, one might appear to be a theist, a Christian, mm -hmm. and really have an animistic worldview mm. underneath all all this. Where when they say God, they may think of a, a faraway God that you can't touch, talk to, and and you need intermediaries. Yeah, or spirits. some people here might even know it and may have a clue what you're talking about. When you say animism, what would, would that involve? In the Philippines, we have a specific form called anatism, mm -hmm. which means that uh, Filipinos would, would view God as a faraway deity 
who doesn't really help you and is, is too busy to, to appeal to. Mm -hmm. So instead you appeal to intermediary spirits, be mm -hmm. they um, spirits of uh, animals, nature spirits, or, or um, uh, your, your own dead relatives. Mm -hmm. um, now, Roman Catholic tradition, when that came to the Philippines, um, saints had replaced those intermediate Mm -hmm. um, states between God and human beings mm -hmm. so that people would appeal to uh, specific saints for specific things that they need. So there is there is an element of ancestor um, connection because you do find this very much in other places in Asia. In fact, it's one of the big issues that Christians face once they become a Christian in relationship mm -hmm. to their families is what, mm -hmm. how, do I, how do I deal with this element of, of, of family expectations, and that goes on in the Philippines. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's an issue that we don't think about very much here in the States. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, you know, more and more immigrants coming to the United States. Mm -hmm. I was in Southern California. We worked with the Vietnamese mm -hmm. immigrants, and knowing that everybody comes from a certain cultural um, background, and Christians struggle with different things. And we talked about sacrificing food to idols in Bible mm -hmm. study and youth group. It was not a, a metaphorical thing. Yeah. They were literally, you know, my, I go to my friend's house, they sacrifice the food to the ancestors, mm. now what do I do? Yeah. Uh, so very uh, real things like that. So mm -hmm. to, to find out where the audience that you're working with is coming from and then engage them um, you know, understanding where, where they are coming from and the struggles they have. Mm -hmm. And Cesar, what would you say? Well, I would encourage, um, the church, people in the church in America to be more open, especially uh, to foreigners, uh, since there are so many foreigners coming to this country. Mm -hmm. uh, and as an example, I, my, my wife is in a small group and uh, she felt that the, the ladies there, they would share very, very superficial things. And next thing you know, one of them is just getting a divorce. So, mm -hmm. so people are not opening up their problems in, in, their, in this context. So I would encourage them to, to open up in their, in their small groups, to really um, share from a deeper level, as we do in, in South America, being a minority, you ha you depend on your new family of Christians. So everybody really knows how you're doing. When you ask people how you're doing, you really mean it. Mm -hmm. You really want to know how how they're doing. So to not be so superficial here. Interesting. Well, again, I thank you for coming in and taking the time to do this. I hope this has been it's been interesting for me, I mean, to to hear stories from from three countries some of which I've known mm -hmm. sort of up close and then others very much from a distance and, and and hear the different kinds of Christian experiences and what that what that means for you in your own experiences you think about engagement and think about your own Christian development and I think do sometimes it is helpful for us to to kind of step outside our own box and and hear from people who who uh, who have lived in this in this fishbowl all their life and, and see and they say oh so that's what the aquarium looks like yeah. um, so I very much appreciate it and we thank you all for coming to the table again and look forward to uh, seeing you again next time thanks for listening to the table podcast Dallas Theological Seminary teach truth love well This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?